You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Decided to not bring him up here, but uh, Doug, you can come up here. It's fine. I'm gonna, I'll get out of the way. But uh, let me just introduce you to Doug. Doug not only plays a mean harmonica, right? Does he not play a mean harmonica? Yeah. Not only can he spit through pieces of metal well, but um, Doug has been, he's going to share his testimony, but Doug has been in ministry for a long, long time. How long? 35, 40 years, maybe. 35, 40 years. About as long as I've been alive. (laughs) Anyways, uh, and... Yeah, Doug has been in ministry a long time. He's gone through a lot. He'll share a lot about that. But Doug and I uh, struck up a friendship, oh, a couple years ago, maybe three. In fact, two years ago on my birthday, we went over to Billings. Was that only two years ago or was that three? Yeah, two years ago. Two years ago, we went up to Billings together and uh, hung out. And yeah, he got to be my roadie, which was pretty awesome. Um, anyways, and Doug and I struck up this friendship. And I saw in Doug um, a guy that has faithfully served in ministry and been kicked repeatedly even though he doesn't know it but he's a pig-headed strong-willed German and uh, <laughs> never mind we're not going to get into that but no. yeah so he's this strong-willed German and he has just faithfully followed Jesus for a long long time and I saw in that I saw this guy and I thought I want to be like him and then I got to know him and I thought there's other things I don't want to become like but he's going to talk about that too so Take it away, Doug. Thank you, Brian. And happy birthday. My name is Doug, and I'm a Methodist. <laughs> uh, not only have you seen me up here play my harmonica, but I usually sit in the back row there with my wife, Dawn, almost 43 years, and my daughter and her husband, and our three grandchildren also have a son down in Omaha, and they have two little girls. And so, very, very, very blessed. I sit in the back row because I sit in support of all the church members over all those years who always fought for the back pew. <laughs> now I get to do it. I grew up a Methodist from Mandan, North Dakota. If you don't know where that's at, it's the cross river from Bismarck. Now, although my parents were not especially... Uh, vocal about their faith. They were they were faithful in church and made sure I got to church in Sunday school every Sunday. I don't know if any of you were in churches where you got attendance pins. I had a lot of pins on my my lapel. We had to wear suits in those days to, to a Sunday school in church. On the positive side I had a pastor who who uh, talked about the personal relationship with Jesus and he brought me uh, to a relationship with Jesus. Also had uh, Sunday school teachers and a pastor who cared about me a lot and, and encouraged me, which meant a whole lot because I was a very, very, very quiet, reserved, good little boy. <laughs> On the negative side, I heard more in my church about what to do and especially what not to do as a Christian instead of God's uh, love for me and mercy for me. And so that led me to focus on on performing for God in order to earn his love and that that was a handicap that I've had most most of my life also the church I grew up in was very judgmental 
It was us and them. We were Bible-believing, born-again Christians. The Catholics were not real Christians. And uh, folks who didn't agree with us were liberals, and they did not believe in Jesus. They were not going to heaven. That judgmentalism and also uh, defensiveness that went along with it, and then also this need to perform for God. Again, there were handicaps that have followed me uh, for most of the years of my life. How have you gone through confirmation? I went through confirmation when I was 13. That uh, was a standard age at that time. At the end of the, the confirmation process, we all had to go to see the pastor privately in his office. And uh, as he shared with me, he held out a, a pen to me and he said, you know, in order for you to get this pen, you have to receive it. Just the same way you have to receive Jesus' forgiveness for you or else it can't be yours. I never figured out why he didn't let me keep the pen. But anyway, I did, I did leave that day feeling lighter because I knew that Jesus was my Savior and that he had died for my sins. Back in those days, our youth groups had officers. Anybody have officers in your youth group? I was the president of our youth group when I was a senior and the president of the youth group uh, got to preach the sermon at sunrise service uh, at Easter time. I don't remember much about it, except I know I was terrified. And also, I was fascinated with uh, just studying the Bible and uh, getting ready for, for that sermon. I also knew for sure that I was not interested in ever preaching again. <laughs> I was bound and determined to be an electrical engineer. Yay, engineers. <laughs> I love science. I love math. And being a very quiet and reserved young man, engineering fit me perfectly. Plus, I was hoping to make a whole lot of money. I left for North Dakota State knowing I needed to take my faith seriously. If for any reason, I was scared to death and needed all the help I could get. But instead of my faith growing during that freshman year, I found myself falling away from my faith. Uh, my girlfriend, who was still in high school, left me and devastated me. My roommate, who happened to be my first cousin, introduced me to a life of drinking and carousing that helped with the pain and also helped in working out the rebellion that I had in my very restrictive upbringing. It was during my... Uh, during the spring of my freshman year that I knew I was at a crossroads. My cousin and I had gotten a lot into a lot of trouble that year in the dorm. We were just inches away from being kicked out of the dorm. And although I was very happy to no longer be a straight-laced good boy, I was very aware that I was not going the direction I wanted my life to go. I was home for a long weekend. I was at the grocery store getting something for my mom, and I happened to be in line with a girl, former classmate of mine, a Catholic neighbor, who invited me to a Bible study that Sunday night. And uh, I knew my life get it back on track, so I agreed to go with her. And I was, I was blown away because for the first time in my life, I saw people my own age who were excited about Jesus, about reading the Bible. I went back to college knowing that I needed to make a change. It was a Thursday before Easter, I was home again, and uh, the same group that I that uh, had the Bible study were were at a storefront in Mandan painting and 
and renovating, getting ready to turn this, this old storefront into a Christian coffee house, which was a big thing at that time. Now, at the end of that time, we gathered in prayer. And during that prayer time, I made a decision. Whereas I knew that, that Jesus was my Savior, I now knew that it was time to give up my own plans and follow Jesus as my Lord. My life changed. I was involved in the opening days of the coffee house. During the summer, I returned to Fargo. My sophomore year, a different person. Uh, my roommate, my cousin, had a similar experience, and so the head resident shook his head as he watched my, my cousin and I going to an intervarsity Bible study across the hall from his, his, uh, his residence and uh, no longer troublemakers in his dorm. Now, I joked that it was either the Holy Spirit or differential equations that called me into the ministry. <laughs> Tell you what, let's, uh, well, I've got a few pictures of Doug up here. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures of Doug's ministry. So there's one picture of Doug. You heard that story last night. That's, uh, yeah. And then there's another picture of Doug. You notice that fancy ponytail back there. I'd mentioned there are a few things I learned about Doug that I don't want to become. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One of them's the ponytail. So, um, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, thank you, Doug, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your ministry. Um, we're going to pray for Doug in just a second. But if you didn't know this about Doug, um, he also just recently, as of what was that Friday night, right? Friday night had the day the uh, the day center at the Hope Center named the Doug Deal Day Center, and uh, in honor of, of Doug and I, and you should ask Doug, you should ask Doug the, um, the story of how the Hope Center came to be. Uh, sometime, if you have just a few minutes, he's not real long-winded like me, but uh, he, yeah, it's just a powerful story about God putting a, a vision that didn't make a whole lot of sense inside of a man, and then years later him going, oh, that's what that was about. So, uh, so go ahead and ask him those questions. Um, but let's pray for Doug and let's jump into the scriptures, okay? Uh, Jesus, thank you for Doug and for his faithfulness. Thank you for the fact that, um, Lord, this church is comprised of, uh, we've already heard from Nick Weist weeks ago, from guys who are, you know, in the middle of their life and struggles. We heard from Matt not that long ago from a guy who's just beginning life and ministry. And now we get to hear from a guy who's um, at the tail end of his first ministry, now stepping into uh, what is the next phase of ministry. And Lord, I just thank you that your body is made up of so many different people. That's incredibly awesome. So we pray for Doug as he continues to minister to this city in ways that he doesn't quite understand or know yet. Uh, we pray for continued healing for him and for continued healing for him emotionally, but also that you will use the love you've placed inside of him, your love, to love other people who this city tends to not like a whole lot of. And uh, I thank you for his uh, his dedication to your beauty, your justice, your righteousness, and the fact that you actually are for people. You're for people no matter what uh, class or race or ethnicity or setting they setting or situation they come from. Uh, you are for people. And so we pray that you would bless the work of his hands, um, especially uh, that at the Hope Center. So, Lord, we love you, and we ask that you would uh, now open our ears and our eyes to your word. And uh, 
Yeah, move me out of the way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so we did tell you that this was going to be a, a fairly regular occurrence of, uh, of people getting up to share their stories and talk about how Jesus moved them from being about them to being about something other than them. And that's the whole point of this. Uh, as we've been walking through 1 Corinthians, we've been studying what it means or what it looks like when you make church about you. Right, like things start to go wonky when church becomes about you. This isn't about us individually. This is about us corporately. Uh, today, in our our walk through First Corinthians, um, we come to a text that's going to make you very uncomfortable. Uh, it makes me very uncomfortable to preach it and to to teach it. Uh, I'm not going to mess around a whole lot because I don't have a lot of time to put this all together. But we're going to be in First Corinthians chapter seven today. First Corinthians chapter seven. And I'm just going to ask you this question. Have you ever just not seen eye to eye with somebody? Have you done that this week? There's a couple of people that chuckled because they're like, <laughs> doing it right now. Um, yeah, you ever, you ever get into a situation where you're trying to communicate something and you think the words are coming out crystal clear and yet they're just not getting it? I do this with my wife pretty much every week. And so when she says, what do you mean? I just say the same thing louder. <laughs> because I think that for some reason, a little extra volume is going to make it clearer. Right? But it's not, it never really works. And she, now she's taken to the point where she's like, I'm going to ask you what you mean, but if you, if you repeat yourself louder, I'm going to throat chop you. Okay? And so that's a, that's, a very, yeah, that's a very loving Laura way to say, I just want to understand you. Um, yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but that's, this is actually the beauty of communication. Um, it is a miracle that we get anything communicated to humans at all, is it not? Because if you think about it, you have two completely different people with two completely different perspectives and two completely different languages even. I mean, I know we may even be using the same English language, but two completely different language handle, the handle on language, the cultural handle on language, and you slam them together and say, okay, now try to get to some meaning and some truth. Uh, the way I wrote this actually in this little script here is this is what happens when two eternal beings try to use temporary words to encapsulate the reality of a shared experience. That's called miscommunication. Two eternal beings trying to take temporal words and try to communicate the reality of an experience. That's, uh, it happens all the time. And the Bible is definitely not devoid of communication issues. Uh, in fact, what is going to happen is today we're going to read this text from 1 Corinthians 7, and you're going to find a place where the culture in Corinth, the culture in, uh, of the first century, is going to brush up against a tense moment or a tense place in our culture. And there is a very real temptation, a very real temptation in preaching and teaching these things to just rip them out or avoid them or sidestep them. Um, or somehow to make them more palatable or encapsulate them into some nicety that we can just, uh, like, I don't know, put tattoos on or something like that. But um, that's what, there's a real temptation to do that. And I have found over the years that it is precisely in these texts, it's precisely in these texts, like chapter 7, where it's a little bit tense. It's precisely in these texts where after a lot of thought, after meditation, after seriously reading some things, after trying to humble myself and move myself out of the way, it is in these moments where the text and the tension hangs in such a beautiful manner that you actually come to some really powerful, powerful truths. So that's what we're going to hopefully find today. 
is we're gonna uh, we're gonna find something where it's gonna be a little bit dicey, a little bit uh, a little bit of an issue. I might do a little more teaching than preaching, um, but we're gonna get through this together. So let's read it and dig in. First Corinthians chapter seven. And if you have a Bible with little headings, first of all, those aren't put in there by the original authors. I want you to know that. But what does your heading say? Marriage. 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 Immediately, as soon as you read the word marriage, as soon as you read that word, you should be going, okay, here we go. Um, and, and you're going to see, like, there's some weird stuff that happens in here. So I'm just going to read it. Um, and we're going to, it's, it's a longer chapter, but I'm going to read it. Now, for the matters you wrote about, Okay, pause. Now, you remember, uh, first, you know, it's going to take us a while to get through this if I keep doing this. But if you remember, 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter to the Corinthians. We don't have the first one anymore. It's been lost to archaeology, maybe to be found someday. But there's already a back and forth conversation. So we're dropping into the middle of a conversation. You ever drop into the middle of a conversation and try to have communication uh, and end up having communication issues? That happens to me all the time. It's super fun. In fact, I kind of like doing it. Just drop in the middle of a conversation. What are you guys talking about? Um, Okay. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. But since there is such immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. Ooh. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Sorry, women. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which he was when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he was a, he was a slave when he was called by the Lord as the Lord's freed man. Similarly, he was a free man when he was called as Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man is responsible to God, should remain in the situation God called him. 
Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. If you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. This is wild. Man, I want to stop at like every sentence. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if they it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For the world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world. Hold on, we're almost there. How she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and he feels as though he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control of his own will, and he who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries does right, but he who does not marry does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier to stay as she is. And I think I too have the Spirit of God. (laughs) Okay. Clear. Crystal clear, right? We can just pack up and go home. (laughs) Okay. So what's going on here? What is going on here is really, actually really tough to explain. I'm not going to, well, it's not actually all that tough to explain. I'm going to explain it fairly simply and clearly. Here's what's going on behind the text. Okay, What's going on behind the text is this. Um, no, not that. Uh, what's going on behind the text is, uh, is there's this belief system called Platonism. Platonism. Uh, you can see the root word of it is Plato, right? And it's Plato's belief. And what Plato taught is Plato taught that uh, you are, you exist of two essences. One is this evil skin, this evil flesh, this evil meat bag that walks around. And inside of you is this good little happy sailor who's like a little tiny sailor riding inside of this evil ship. That's his terminology, I'm not making jokes. He, like, There's this little tiny soul that's like this good little sailor sailing the ship of this evil body. And that someday your body's going to die away and the good soul is going to float off and finally be free of all of the evil, evil flesh that's, that encapsulates it. Now, some people might be going, well, that sounds very biblical. Well, it's not. Okay, so um, here's the deal. The, the Bible does not teach Platonism. Plato teaches Platonism. Um, the Bible teaches that the soul is broken and is wicked, that the body follows the heart, soul, and mind, and all of them need restoration and salvation. All of them need, need healing. And so sometime God's going to break the, the power of sin in your life and in your soul and in your heart, and then eventually as your body passes away, that is also going to be resurrected, glorified, and reunified. Because everything needs to be healed. 
But this belief system is kind of permeating the text and it leaps itself actually off the page once you know that it's there. But body bad, soul good. That's the idea that's being taught there. There's another one that's being actually kind of talked about here because the reaction to that is, there's actually two reactions. One is, as this Platonism idea is there, what Plato taught is body bad, uh, soul good, and so do whatever you want with your body. Because it doesn't matter. Your soul is just trapped inside of your body. So your body can can do whatever it wants. It can sin whatever way it wants. It doesn't matter. There is no such thing because your body eventually is going to pass away. That's one reaction to this teaching. The other reaction was to pendulum swing away from that and believe in something called asceticism. Asceticism is, I think it's up there on the screen, asceticism is the belief that what you had to do is shun as much as humanly possible and stay away from everything so that you lived more holy, so that you're holy, not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y, so that your good soul could match up with your good body. So what you had to do is you had to move out of your common life and go live in a commune somewhere. And... No drinking, no smoking, no sex, no nothing, no rock music, none of that stuff. Okay? Everybody's like, rock music didn't exist back then. <laughs> but that's the idea. This is where kind of early monasticism was, monasticism was something that happened, oh man, many centuries before Jesus. And as it, as it comes up, it's also in the Greek culture. And so people are moving out into the middle of nowhere, becoming monks, becoming hermits, to stay away from things that will cause them to sin. And so there's a whole group, a faction in the Corinthian church who's like, okay, things have changed. Jesus is returning soon. I think we should get rid of our wives. I think we should get rid of our husbands. Because that's causing me to stumble. It's causing hardship. It's causing difficulty. Because those of you who are married will testify, and I need a hearty amen. Marriage is hard work. All of the guys are like, I'm not saying a word. And there's like four women who are like, amen. Yeah, a marriage is hard work. Relationships are hard work. They're really, really hard. And, and some of what's going on here is they're writing that going, you know what, this is causing me to have too much difficulty, too much sin. And so I'm going to bounce out of that. And Paul's addressing this, but then he jumps into this. It's like Paul just unleashes. And he jumps into all of these different things. He tackles so many different things in this text that it can get incredibly confusing. And he says things like, this comes from the Lord and not from me. This one comes from me and not from the Lord. And you're left going, okay, Paul, what is it? Is this God's word or is this your word? And this brings up some fan, some interesting things about uh, what you believe the Bible to be. Those of you who are going into your refuge groups, I want you to talk about that this week. What is it that you believe the Bible to be? Um, but that's going to be a, a, an, an issue when we talk about this in our refuge groups. What I think is happening here, though, is Paul is kind of settling on or kind of focusing on, and this is what I get to encapsulate for the next five or six minutes. What he's, what he's encapsulating on is, and what you feel when you read the text, is that we don't get to settle on one of two options with this text. One of the two options we want to read into this is legalism. Legalism is the, there it is, it's looking at the text for the black and white rules to follow. It looks for rules, exceptions to rules, and loopholes. That's how legalism reads this text. And you can feel yourself reading it, right? Like, I want to apply this to everybody, every relationship. Let's see, that person's relationship's here, that one's here, that one's here. And that's the legalism side of things, categorizing and, and pushing everybody into these boxes, trying to go, okay, it's black, it's white, it's black, it's white. The other side of it is the license argument, legalism and license. License is the idea that there are no rules. 
You can do whatever you want. Follow your heart. Follow your follow your soul. When your soul tells you to jump ship, just go ahead and do it. I fell out of love with this person, so I'm done. And I, I think Paul's battling back both of those things because I don't think both of them are healthy. And he tackles every single issue in these in this text. And and I've got them kind of up here. I'm going to sort of rattle through them. Sorry for the lack of being able to just you know dig down into this. I really would love to do this a little bit deeper, but. It's okay. Um, here's what he does: is he starts off talking about marriage and and the physical relationship, marriage and sex. And in the middle of marriage and sex, he's talking about legalism and license in here, and he's he's actually laying some things out, saying, "Hey, people set up rules and boundaries and systems of rewards and punishments within the marriage. I'm going to withhold sex from you. I'm going to withhold physical relationship from you because I want you to do the dishes or something stupid like that." Or, you know, it's a reward system like, well, if you've been on your best behavior, then we're going to be, we're going to be able to have some physical intimacy. And Paul's battling that back going, you know what, don't do that. That is destructive. But additionally, it's not just there's no rules like do whatever you want, open marriage or whatever. That's not an issue that's going to go very well for anybody. Paul brushes on this topic briefly when he talks about how license works its way into relationships and they're, they're doomed as trust kind of erodes and love becomes fickle. And, and he's, he's just kind of brushing at that. He also tackles marriage and singleness talks about whether you should be single or you should be married. And most of you guys who are here who are mine students, this might be the question on your mind. (laughs) Should I be married? Should I be single? Now here's what Paul says. It's good. Either way, it's good. If you feel like God's calling you to stay single, it's all good. Your life is going to have a set of consequences and difficulty that comes with it. If you feel like you're going to get married, guess what? It ain't easier. You're going to have a set of consequences and difficulty that go along with that too. So choose, but choose wisely. And we can we can want legalism and license to step in here too, right? Like um, there is a day and age in the past, um, and this is changing dramatically in our culture, but there used to be a day and age uh, where women would feel this very powerfully once they hit about 29 or 30 years old and they weren't married. They would feel a shame, a deep shame in our culture. A deep shame. And they, I, I worked with lots of women who would be super upset that somebody walked up to them and said, why aren't you married yet? And then they'd strangle a 12-year-old or something like that. <laughs> and that's what happens when legalism steps in. Like, bro, you got to get married. you got to get married. you just got to do it. you got to get this. got to happen. Well, there's also no... It's not that there's no rules either. You can't just willy-nilly do just whatever you want. Jump in and out and in and out of marriages and relationships. Marriage is not simply pragmatic and functional. It's a deep, 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 meaningful thing. And then he brushes on this a little bit more with marriage and divorce when he he tackles this topic and he says, hey, uh, legalism legalism steps in and says, nope, everybody has to stay married all the time, all of the time. But even Jesus said, right, like, with exception to adultery. There are exceptions to the rule. Even the God of the universe who says, I hate divorce, saith the Lord, right? He came and descended on this earth and he said, okay, except for the fact that like, if things are gotten so horrible that there's like an adulterous, abusive, wicked, crazy relationship going on. If God himself has to move away from the legalism of one size fits all, one rule fits all, then we better pay attention. And this is what Paul addresses when he says, this is the Lord, but not I speaking. And then he steps in and gives even some more instructions saying, this is I, but not the Lord. 
basically this text is, is confusing for a reason. The reason it's confusing, and I do wish I could go so much more deeper into this, but the reason it's confusing is because our relationships easy? Absolutely not. And they seem like such a great idea at the time, <laughs> right? Like whether it's a friendship or whether it's a, whether it's a marriage or whatever. Like you ever the, you ever see those people in the happy bubble stage of the first part of their of their relationship, boyfriend and girlfriend kind of thing? Yeah. It's gross, isn't it? Yeah, hugely disgusting, right? Like they can't stop looking at each other and they're batting their eyes and they're like stroking each other's faces and everybody else is throwing up in the pew going, stop it! <laughs> that's that's a, uh, an issue in every culture. And, mar- and relationships initially look like, oh man, this is going to be this is going to be so amazing. This is going to be without any issue at all. And then we quickly find out in relationships they take hard work, they take humility, they take commitment, they take sacrifice, they take love, they take a battling for justice within that person's life, they take arguing and pushing and screaming and shouting sometimes in order to find the better the better whole of the of the two. They take a lot of work, they take a lot of practice, they take a lot of training. Training. They take a ton of work. And I think my biggest issue is that uh, in our culture, we don't want to work at anything. We want mixed marriages. We want drive through marriages where we don't want, or relationships where we don't want to work at them. Relationships can be difficult. This is why this text is difficult. And I think what Paul is getting at, if I can encapsulate it into something, which I told you I shouldn't do, but if I can encapsulate it into something, here's the big takeaway. big takeaway is this. Time is short. He says it in here crystal clearly, verse 29. Time is short. The appointed time has grown short. Time is short. Live like it. And that means not bounce on your relationship, but live with that person as though you don't get another day with them. Live with that person as though you don't get another day with them. But additionally, time is short. Jesus has called you to ministry. He has called you to a life of honoring and serving and sacrificing for Him. And He's called you in the middle of a relationship or a multiplicity of them. And what I think Paul is screaming out here is, live like that's important too. Time is short. Live like you don't get another day with the person you're with, but also live like you don't get another day following Jesus and some you're going to appear before him this evening answering for the day that you had but additionally what comes over and over and over again is not only time is short but take care take care to make decisions correctly don't jump into things based off of emotion or willy-nilliness but simply wade through things think through things look through things make choices about your faith and about your future think more about things that you have to do than feel through them. Decide things based on how it will actually affect your faith. If the, if the author of Hebrews is correct, and he says without faith it is impossible to please God, then that should probably be the primary decision maker. That should probably be the primary decision maker when we do anything in a relationship or whether we're even going to get into a relationship. Will this require faith for me to get into this relationship? Those of you who've been in relationships know how much faith it takes to get into a relationship. Will this take faith to stay out of a relationship? Those of you who've had to say no to a relationship know how much faith it takes to say no to a relationship. But think about, will this affect my faith? And then the last thing that he's going to talk about here throughout this whole thing is, 
Not only that time is short, not only to take care to decide correctly, but last thing is, like, live loudly. Take your faith seriously. These things, you can read it over and over again. Your relationships are a pointer to Jesus. They are a pointer to Jesus. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, marriage is a pointer to Jesus. Singleness is a pointer to Jesus. Community is a pointer to Jesus. Church is a pointer to Jesus. All of these things are the things that are supposed to, supposed to point us towards faith in Jesus Christ as we walk forward. And if I'm going to wrap this all up in a nice little bow, we're going to go all the way back to Doug. I have so much I can say about Doug and my relationship with Doug. But one of the most intriguing things about Doug, for me, is that he loves people that are so unlike him. And that's taken a lot of hard work. And it's taken a lot of sacrifice for him and for his family. His whole family was in a picture with the Hope Center because they have all been kind of involved there too. And they have a whole legacy of people who are now serving people that they don't necessarily see eye to eye with or don't understand. They're thinking outside of themselves. They're building relationships with people they wouldn't normally because it increases their faith. And it's beginning to show in the life of their kids and grandkids and so on and so forth. And that legacy grows and grows and grows. I will challenge you guys here, all of you young and all of you old, every single one of you, do something radically different to get outside of yourself and start building a relationship with somebody that you do not understand. Hope Center is a great place to do that. You can go sit down. Cornerstone is a great place to do that. You can go over to the jail. You can go over to wherever. Find somebody that you do not understand and get to know what makes them tick. Get to, get to know the challenges in their lives. Those of you who are going to Mexico and are meeting in the fishbowl room in a few minutes, those of you who are going to Mexico, what's the first thing you experience in Mexico? A whole group of people you don't understand. Like, linguistically don't understand. But also, like, they live a lifestyle that is so totally different than yours. And it wrecks you. You come back to this place and you go, man, I live in Disneyland. I live in Disneyland. Live in a way that your faith is challenged, is motivated, and you're pushed towards Jesus. Whether that's in your marriage, whether that's in your friendships, whether that's in your community, or whether that's elsewhere. Live in such a way where you are seeing Jesus, where you are having faith in Jesus. That's the best way I can wrap all this up. And I hope you have good discussions about this in your refuge groups. Um, I would love to be a fly on the wall of every single one of those discussions because it's going to be a fun one to study for you guys. Tell you what, let's pray, and then Matt's going to come up here and lead us in a song. And I will just tell you, whatever Jesus is doing inside of you, whatever, whatever He's stirring up inside of you, like, hey, I need to get out of myself. I need to get outside of myself. Just do it. Don't second guess it. Think about this, right? Like, what is going to require me to have faith? And then go with it. Because what's going to happen if you slow down and you think about that, your, your feelings are going to take over. Your feelings of fear and of everything else. Jesus... I pray for myself, for my friends, as we have come and just kind of brushed over a text that is incredibly, intensely strange. Uh, We pray that you will help us to think through relationships. We pray that you would help us to think through how we want to be incredibly legalistic with relationships, saying, nope, it's just this, but as soon as those rules come in, it sucks the life out of the relationship. 
or to think about ways where we don't want to put rules on any relationships and that equals no relationship at all. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.